0: Welcome to My Life, it is Applied, episode 323. This program is dedicated by Yossi Simon in honor of his father's Yotzayt and the third of El. We've just entered the powerful month of El. El is the last month of the Hebrew year, which is called the Chedesh HaCheshbun, the month of accountability for all that happened in the past year and Chodesh Ha'achonah, preparation for the coming year. Tofshin Shin Pei Aleph. So what a year this has been. The year of the pandemic, which is still affecting us and it continues to remain a force that creates uncertainty, unknown, and all the other disruptions that it's creating across the globe. And yet, we're taught, told and we're taught especially in this month of El, that we're given all the resources we need to deal with any given challenge. We may not always understand events, but we know everything is by divine providence, and we know that there's no such thing as a force that is more powerful than our ability to, uh, of resilience and to rise to the occasion and be stronger than ever, especially the Jewish people. After everything we've been through, we've only become a greater nation and a greater force in this world, so whatever challenges we're facing now, the month of Elul, as we make the cheshbun and Hanefesh, and we make our take our accounting, and our soul searching and introspection, we resolve and say whatever has happened, we will con- we cannot control the events, but we can control our attitudes, and we, in every day of this month, that's exactly what we do. As the Rebbe emphasizes, time and again, that Elul being such a central month of accountability and a month of preparation. That's why the acronym of the month, of Aleph Lamed, Vav Lamed, of Elul, indicates on all the fund- fundamental principles of life, Jewish life. Teira, Aved, Gemilas Chasadim, and Aved, uh, the prayer, and good kind deeds, and acts of kindness, which are the three pillars that the Mishnah says, Achshleisha Dvarim Ha'elam three pillars the world stands, both the global world, the larger macrocosm world, and as well as the microcosm, which is each individual. And as well as acronym that also includes tshuva, return, and finally ge'ula. So the entire spectrum of life experience and Jewish experience is captured in the month of El. So this is the time in a very practical level that we make a cheshbon, we sit down in a very p- a quiet and internal way, introspection, where we stand, how did these last months, and the truth is it goes back obviously from the beginning of Tavshin Pei uh, 11 months ago, but includes the last six months as well, where do we stand in these areas? Because at the end of the day, even though there was a pandemic, and there is a pandemic, this still does not affect what, what did we do in our study of Torah, what did we do in our prayer, what did we do in our gemilz chasodim and Mitzvahs and tshuva, and what did we do to bring the Gogulah Mashiach? Like the Gemara says, that you'll be asked, "What did you do?" In Masaktib, did you do what? Did you do to bring the Gaula closer? And, the, and uh, as, a, as such, we have to ask ourselves not just what did we do, but with all the challenges, how did we rise to the occasion? How did we increase in all these matters? Because this was an opportunity, and continues to be an opportunity in ways that are unprecedented to actually increase. I know from my own work, the increasing of classes and receptivity has been, I mean, there's no words, it's not even comparable to the way it was. So each of us during this time, especially this time, when outer life has been so disrupted, it's a greater opportunity to increase in all these eternal values that we are charged with. And in this month, we make that accounting and we prepare for the next year to do it even better and even stronger. So, among the, in this age of uncertainty, one thing is certain that we're not living in regular times, that the month of El and the high holidays are going to be experienced in ways that we, that, that, like never before. So, we have now the opportunity to be innovative and creative to make sure that the El experience and the Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot and and is done in ways like never before for ourselves and our families. And this is the time when we prepare for that. So in addition to the Cheshbonim saying, okay, what has happened till now, we now have the opportunity to say, how are we going to enter this year? Now we're always looking for Chidush. We say Rosh Hashanah, al Altarebek brings from, uh, in, in Agedas HaKedush 14, it's based on the Arizal, that before Rosh Hashanah, the whole world goes into a comatose state in anticipation for the renewal of its contract. A new year, she says, a new energy enters into existence that never was there before. And we're always looking for ways. How do we do something in a new way? Well, we were given on a platter. Due to the circumstances, some of us will not be able to go to shul in the regular fashion. We'll definitely not be able to be in the same type of circumstances that we usually depended on. So here we have now, before us, a unique challenge. Now we have to do it in a, you can't just rely on a crutch and rely on a uh, old routine or a past pattern. We have to find original ways. Nothing original about Rosh Hashanah in a way, besides the new energy. The same traditions, the blowing of Shefer. But we have now an opportunity to figure out innovative ways, how are we going to hear Shefer this year when we may not be able to go to shul. And our families and our children so we could look at it as, oh, this is a setback. Or we could say, no, this is a way of making a keli, a container of experiencing Rosh Hashanah like never before. And same thing with Yom Kippur, same thing with Sukkot. So regardless what's coming in the next few weeks, and we don't know everything, we can make the resolve right now, and we need to make it. That's what Elul is about. It's a preparatory month. We blow Shefer every morning, preparing us for the Shafer of Rosh Hashanah that we can actually experience renewal like never before. So when you think of it that way, the opportunity is really a historical one. And that's the attitude that we have to take, a proactive attitude, offensive, take the initiative. Not just, okay, well, what's going to happen? What's God, what is What is? Uh, the synagogue going to do? What is the rabbi going to do? What are you going to do? How are you going to make sure that all that you've received in previous years during this special time, of the year, you will now be able to receive and, and generate in a greater way due to the challenges of our time. So, this is the Tovshin Pei challenge of how to prepare this month of El for, for the, the powerful month, the powerful holy days that we're about to experience in a few weeks from now, beginning with Rosh Hashanah. True renewal, because the situation is a new one, different challenges, different. We don't can't rely on the regular schedules. I could tell you, from, tell you from my work, this is exactly the challenge. How to present Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, in ways that people can really internalize. And I can tell you now, people are experiencing things a lot more intimately and a lot more internally. Because, again, we can't rely just on the regular, so-called the regular routines, the regular structures that we usually were so dependent upon. Now we have to think, how are we going to daven, pray in a deeper way, connect in a deeper way, and experience this renewal in a deeper way. So we are actually in the process of creating programming, exactly geared for that. You'll hear more about it, but we began with 60 Days, a book i written while, a written year, years ago, but is more relevant today than ever, because 60 Days is exactly that. It's a book that brings the high holidays to you. So wherever you are, whether whatever situation, your relationship with God remains intact and stronger than ever. So 60 days is a journey. A journey day by day Beginning began yesterday with the new month of Elul. And we'll go all the way for 60 days till the end of Tishrei. So I encourage you to take advantage. We have a daily email that goes out with a thought and exercise. We have a daily podcast that is continuing the series of the Daily Spiritual Antidote. We have, of course, the book, 60 Days, a Spiritual Guide to the High Holidays, and I know how people are using it this year, definitely even more than previous years. And especially if you're a rabbi, a community leader, or a teacher, or in any way have an influencer, it's an excellent tool that you can use even on a daily basis to create a Zoom class or some other program with your constituents, with your people. And the tools are all ready, and you can personalize it and customize it. So here we are here for you. This is what our mission is citysupply.com you can find out more, more uh, you can find more resources as well as meaningfullife.com So with that, I'll do a few little housekeeping announcements that there you'll also find a forum where you can ask all your questions anonymously completely, without any um, total confidentiality. We could not trace it, so your, your, your uh, anonymity is completely protected. You can also find all the previous episodes archived. You just have to go there to chasidusupply.com, as well as the essays, of the essays that have previous year's contests. And yes, we are winding down this year's contest, and you will hear from us about that. I know you keep hearing that, and and people feel like we're just pushing it off. No, we're not. We're literally finishing it up. Obviously, this year has been different than previous years, but we will live up to our promise and pledge of this whole contest, and honor your efforts, your time, and your energy, so valuable in investing in creating, writing essays, and also the creative track that we did with, art, with artistic abilities in this contest and award the prizes. So look forward to hear about that. We will be doing it before the new year, so very shortly will be some of the announcements. Okay. It's also, this is the week of Parshat Now You probably know, and I've talked about this a number of times, that we go from the month of Av, the month of destruction, the months of affliction, the uh, weeks of affliction, I should say, but then it goes into Shiva de Nechemta, the three weeks of the three weeks of Benam Tsarim, sad weeks, that leads us into the seven weeks of Shiva de Nechemta, of comfort, of consolation. So we're in those weeks, and that's a countdown, that leads right into Rosh Hashanah. It's interesting how it works. From the saddest, lowest point, it leads us into comfort, consolation, all the way to the new year renewal. So we're now in the week of Kiseetse. So, one thought about Kiseetse, which of course relates to Elul and relates also to our period in time. It's a tremendous lesson just in the opening verse. The verse, t- verse talks about Kiseetse le Ale Alevecha, when you will go out and wage war upon your enemies. So there's two words here that seem odd. Kiseitse limochama. Why is the word kiseitze? You will go out to war. It could have said kisilchem when you will war when you will wage war. There are many ways to say it. what's the kiseitze? Kiseitze is like going out. Out of where? And the second word is Alevecha. In Hebrew, Alevecha means upon, above your enemies. It should have said be'evecha, or imayvecha, with your enemies. So the Rebbe explains, and it's, it's such a far-reaching lesson in every aspect of life. One answer that answers both these diyukin, the, both, both of these, the, these emphases on, in this verse. War is not our natural state. You need to go out to war. We do live in a world which is a hostile world, and there are wars to be fought, but never think that you are a warrior. So the Torah is saying, yes, there were times you need to go to war, physical, but even more importantly, emotional, psychological. We have battles to fight with our own internal enemies, our demons, with external ones, psychological, emotional, fears, insecurities. But always know that you are not a warrior. You belong within your soul in a beautiful, seamless way connected to its purpose. But there's a purpose. The soul goes away from its natural environment to sublimate and refine and transform this material world into a divine home. So when we're doing that, but always be aware you're going out to do it. Not just physically out, but psychologically. It's not your natural place. Your natural place is harmony, is peace, is connection, it's love. So, the first one is kiseitse. You'll need to wage war, but don't be identified by it. And the second, alevecha. You're never an equal to whatever adversary you have or any adversity that you face. You're always above them because there's a purpose. God sent these challenges in order to elicit deeper strengths and to transform the negative into the positive. So, when you have that attitude that it's not my natural place and that I always remain above it, meaning I am not an equal to my challenge, to, the, to my adversi- to adversity, then whatever you face, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's fears, uncertainties, internal or external enemies, you always have that confidence knowing that it's not who I am and I'm always above it. I engage, but I remain above. And that's tremendous because no matter what happens in life, very, many, very often we feel like we're victims or at least we're part of the circumstances. No, you are always above the circumstances. You just need to know it. And you're going out to wage war. Even on a practical level, when a battle is fought within your heart and soul, it's already a weakened state. You want to have the battles fought on this, on the, in the territory of your enemy, not in your territory. And that's also psychologically that way. So it's that deep-seated confidence and awareness that we're going out out of our natural place and that we always remain above it. Especially in times like this, when we're not sure of things, uncertainties, the fears, the unknowns, whether it's from a health point of view or economic point of view or a political point of view, this lesson is very far-reaching. So in the month of El, in one of the weeks of El, we read it, because it's about strengthening ourselves. We're not part, and a, we're not an extension of our circumstances. We're not defined by our circumstances. We stand above them, and we are going out to deal with our circumstances. You keep that in mind, and it's the preemptive solution to so many problems that we have. Once we understand that it's not the problem is something to deal with, but it's not def- does not define you. Okay, so some cross referencing in episodes one seventy seven, two to 228, 228, 273, 276, and 322, which was last week. Talked more about these topics. These are cross-references that you can find easily at com, And the YouTube version, there are timestamps, so you can go straight to the section you're looking for. Okay. So what are some practical steps that one can do this L to make an actual difference in their lives? Good? Practical steps will begin, as I mentioned before, but I'll be more specific. This is a month that's not one month; it's a month that encompasses the entire year, because here we have the ability to look back at every day of the year, every month of the year, going back to last year's Tishrei when Rosh Hashanah began, basically September last year, pre-COVID, September nineteen, September twenty nineteen, September 2019, rather. So the first thing is that every day, designate time. In the morning is always great to do this. Designate time to account. Go through the months and say, September, October, November, you want to go by the Hebrew months, Tishrei, Cheshvan, Kislev. Go through the months and try to sum up what happened, what could have been done better. That's what true accountability is. What was really good, how could I intensify that? What needs correction? How can I adjust? How can I improve? It's an evaluation, a real evaluation. Obviously, the months as they roll on, you get into January, February, March, we know things started really changing. But regardless, it's an accountability for the entire year. That's one thing. And actually write down and say, here are things that I could improve, and write down, here are a few things that I would love to improve as we go forward, in this month and into the next year. That's one thing. <clears throat> Next thing, strengthen in all those five kavim, those five tracks. Do something additional, additional study of Torah. As much as you're learning, maybe an additional little section or piece. Maybe start re- learning a new book or new class. Two in prayer, with more kavana, more intention. Choose one prayer, focus a little more on it. Number three in tzedakah, in chasadim, adding, increasing a little tzadokah, which is of course a custom to be done in El, as well as by the way, the tefillah, it says that those that learn tefillah put away, put more time into, into davening. Same thing with tzadokah and gemilas chasadim. Tshuva, tshuva is of course a more central one, of things that need to be corrected. There are people you may have wronged. Figure out a way to reconcile with them, to make up. There are also tshuva not necessary on the wrong. Tshuva means returning, being more connected to the divine, to God, what God wants of us. God, your, your purpose in life. And finally, gu'ula. Every day, what did you do today to help bring personal and global redemption in your own life and the life of others? This is something every one of us can do. Everyone on their level, children can be taught to do this. Maybe start a journal. And you can go day by day. Take it seriously, and you'll find it being very refining, very cleansing, very purifying experience. Are there more things that be done? Of course, we know we have the customs of El, besides the blowing of Shefer every morning. There's other customs as well. We begin to wish each other, which is also a gen- an effort of in kindness and, and, uh, and sharing, wishing each other, thinking about each other. And this is a time when we need it more than ever. Many people have been shaken up. Many people are very, are tottering, are in places that need chizuk and need strength and encouragement. And when you encourage others, it obviously comes back to you as well. And there are more customs. I'm just sharing a few. These are practical things we can do. Overall, novice Yisrael is always an area that we could always increase in. Being kinder, being less judgmental, being non-judgmental even better. Finding ways, you see conflict. What could you do to diffuse it? With good intentions. And this could be on a small level, on a big level. Creating avas and ahdush israel, One of the greatest callings of our time, maybe the greatest. And the one actually, that is the closest thing to bring in the Gula. Because when there's no sinas as chinam, which the destruction. When we have avas chinam, unconditional love for each other. That is the tikkun, the repair, the antidote to... Destruction because Shalom, obviously, Shalom is the ultimate clay that contains the ultimate blessing. The blessing for what? Our, our Father blesses us when we stand as one. As the Rebbe said in the, in the name of the Samach Tzaddik, that the Achdus among Siddim will lead them to the Ga'ula. And the logic is straightforward, not just among Siddim, among all people, but especially among Siddim, the Achdus. There's nothing, when we are united, nothing can stop us. So there's much to be done, looking in your own life, looking at people around you. What can I do to be part of the solution? And to somewhat lower, if not eliminate entirely, any fires of disagreements, of discord. And without pointing fingers, if everyone has that attitude, you tell me, what do you think will happen? So these are among some of the things we can all be doing in this powerful month of El. <clears throat> With that, let's go to the next question. Since prayer is such a central theme in El, tachnunim, additional prayers, especially when we get to later in El, we start saying slichas asfarim start doing it rosh But Ashkenazim begin the last week before Rosh Hashanah. So, there's some questions regarding does God answer our prayers in El? Here's the question. What good is it announcing that during Elul, the king is in the field? The Moshe of the Rebbe that I discussed last week. Melech Basada. The king is in the field. What does that mean? He's accessible. Even as you're dressed in your workday clothes, in your workday mindset, and he and shows us a smiling face, and he answers our requests. So someone's asking, what is the good of announcing that during Elul, the king is in the field, and therefore it's easier to get your prayers through, through through, directly to God, if last and previous selves, the king was also in the field and didn't listen to your prayers then? Okay. <laughs> well, my response is very straightforward. How do you know he didn't listen to your prayers? You think Hashem doesn't always answer the way you want him to answer. He answers how he wants to answer. If you and I are here, and we're healthy, and we're able to ask this question, maybe God gave you a very big blessing, the blessing called You're alive, and I'm alive. And health and the ability to think. So sometimes we take for granted what those prayers are. Now, does we always do we always get what we think we should need? God gives us what we need, not always what we think we need. And sometimes what we think we need is not even necessarily really good for us. So that's number one. Number two, the Shallah writes All prayers are answered. God is always awake, He's always listening. He's always listening, and therefore it would be illogical for him to say, pray to me and I'm not going to answer you, I'm going to ignore you. The question is, as I said, firstly, what does the answer to the prayer mean? It's not always the way we understand. Secondly, as the Peshallahu puts it in a very beautiful way, every prayer opens a door. You may need more doors opened, but don't ever think a prayer doesn't open a door. It opens a door, gets rid of a resistance or an obstacle or impediment, Sometimes you need more prayers. Look, Moshe Rabbeinu was praying to go into Eretz Yisrael. 515 prayers, v'eschanon, until Hashem told not to continue. But what, what, those 515 prayers were a waste? If Hashem thought it was a waste, He would have told after prayer one, don't continue. Every prayer accomplishes something. If we merit, we see its effect immediately in a revealed way. And if we don't, it means God doesn't want us to see it for whatever reason. It may be seen by our children, by our grandchildren, by our great-grandchildren. You think the prayers of our grandparents, who suffered so greatly, were not fulfilled? Look look at the Jewish people today. We have freedom. We can serve God as we see fit. We can send our children to any school. You can pray as long as you want. No one's coming to arrest you, to round us up. Thank God. You think that came from nowhere? So if our great-great-grandparents would have said, hey, I don't see the prayer fulfilled. We're still living in poverty, under oppression, to the worst and worst possible ways often. But they knew that a prayer is always heard and our Father in Heaven does not is compassionate. And with you as a parent, a healthy parent, your child cries out to you. Does not have an impact? The fact that you may not act immediately, and we're humans, we're, we're, we're flawed, The fact that we may not act, and your child says, why don't you respond? Of course I hear you, my dear child. And you will see my response. You may see it immediately. You may see it in ways you don't even expect. And so on. There was a chassid, Rabbi Simcha Gorodetsky, in 1966. He wrote to the Rebbe, complaining that the Rebbe is not answering him for all his requests. He's making many requests, and the Rebbe, did he do something that offended the Rebbe? He wants to correct it. The Rebbe's not answering him. You know, the Rebbe answered him. What happened in the last year? You, your family, children, all came out from the Soviet Union, from that prison. And you're telling me that the answer prayers, your, your requests were not answered. They were answered more than you would ever expect. It's amazing, right? Because the answer comes in actions. Looking at your life, you see a blessing. The whole beginning of the kutte deburim. What's the first, first few pages? It talks about machshava and mayelis. That thought helps. The so Friedrich Rebbe is talking about that there are different levels of friendship. There's a friendship when you meet your friend. You say, shalom aleichem. Hello. There's a second, you give a hug. A third, you have a conversation. And then finally he says, the deepest is thought. You think about someone you care about. It has an effect. So one of the people sitting in the Fabrengen was in Riga. I believe, in Europe, in uh, Latvia, says to Friedrich Rebbe, where do we see that? Friedrich Rebbe responds to him. says, where were you last year? Last year he was back in the Soviet Union, in that hell. says, where were you? Meaning, someone thought about you, that's why you're here now. He didn't even realize it. He's asking, where do we see it? Sometimes the person who experiences a miracle does not even recognize it. It's too close. Or we take it for granted. So never underestimate. We should appreciate with gratitude, deep gratitude, our blessings. Do we have challenges? Of course there are challenges. Some of us have suffered greatly. Some people have lost family members, especially recently. Things we don't understand, we can't fathom. But to not see the whole picture and just talk about what we don't have, we have to talk about the whole picture. So, I would say all prayers are answered and sometimes you see it immediately sometimes you give it a little thought and you see it's there sometimes it takes a little time but a door is always opened so this is the statement that last year the king was in the field and we prayed it didn't end up results that's a very uh, I would say I mean I'm not being critical but it's an arrogant statement how do you know what assumption assumption did you make based on what and yes did people suffer tragedies in the last year yes they did no one's denying that. But a tragedy does not mean that your life, and there's no blessings in your life. It means there's a tragedy. We may understand it. Usually we don't. So God answers our prayers in El, and the Melech is Basoda, as he was in previous years, and now in new ways, and, and answers and smiles to us, and therefore do not give up. You never give up. You love someone, and you know they love you. You don't say, oh, I didn't hear an answer, so therefore I give up. No. It's not the approach. Is it challenging? Yes, it is. Okay. Is there any way to connect with God in a way that you can feel him responding? So that's, of course, a continuation. The answer is absolutely yes, as I just said. You wanna see him feel responding? Why don't you think about your breath? Do you know that an average healthy person breathes 15 to 18 times a minute? Exhale and inhale. Do you think about it? Do we even know about it? Dovod HaMelech says in the end of Tehillim, I'll call Neshama Tahal Koh. Says the medish Tehillim. The Medrash on the pasuk on the verse. Neshama, read it Neshima. I'll call Neshima, Neshima on every breath we take. A person should be Mahal, should be saying Shvach, should praise God. Who thinks about breath? So you, want, you ask a question, is there a way you can feel his responding? Yes, every breath is God's Breath. God breathed into the nostrils of a human being and that's what neshama comes from, the word neshima and vice versa. Because the neshama is God's breath. Your heart is beating. I've often mentioned this and recently someone pointed it out to me. They said they went to visit, a medical person went to visit a relative who's on a respirator due to the covid and he came, remembered a class I gave years ago. That sometimes we don't we take for granted our own breathing until you see someone struggling to breathe. You suddenly realize one second, I'm breathing without struggling. And I don't need a machine, thank God. You suddenly call Nashima and Shima And if you look around, there's so many areas in life you could see God's intervention and blessings. The, the, the sad fact is that we complain when we don't have something. But we don't show the equal gratitude when we do. That's human nature. So that's what we have to work on. So that's the first answer. That you can connect by feeling him responding. And I'll tell you something even more. Sometimes you don't even pray for it and God gives you life. It's not always a direct response. Sometimes you get a lot more. Because God trusts us and he says I'll give you the blessings and I'm sure you'll use them correctly. It doesn't wait necessarily for us to ask. And then going back to the other point, that even if you ask for something and you don't see the response, how do you know? Maybe the, most of the resistance has been removed. Maybe you will soon see it. Maybe your family will see it. Maybe it will be the children. So it's general an attitude of recognizing that we're partners. And we have to have that humility to realize that God is there. We know about the Sersim et Shuvah, starting from Rosh Hashanah, we say... So the Gemara says, That when is that referred to? Because, as Chassidus explains, the nitzutz, which is the spark of the soul, like in an orbit throughout the year, gets very close to its source. So they tug at each other, like two flames come close to each other. So even though God is always present... All times and everywhere, there are times where there are less layers. And El is the preparatory month when the Melech is besad. What does that mean? There are less layers. You have more access. Is God not always available? Of course He's always available. But there are times where the material world blocks it out. We don't see it. We'll talk more about this in the Chassidist question at the end of the program. So there are times in the year, and there are places that are more conducive and have less filters, less blocks, less curtains. And this is a time like that, more, much easier to access using the Mashal of Melah Basada. The king is in the field, accessible. You don't need any preparations, like when you have to go to the palace. You could be in your work clothes, in a work state of mind, in a mundane state of mind, and he smiles and responds and fulfills any request that any commoner even asks of god so it's a it's an it's a unique opportunity and again especially this year more episodes where i've spoken spoken about this include 1819 it's about prayer in general how it has impact 133 oh sorry 1890 i'm sorry 82 133 199 201 203 and 309 Okay. Let's go to another question which is uh, not related directly but uh, everything at the end of the day is connected to each other and that is the question goes like this is there how do we find clarity amidst all the disinformation To the esteemed Reb Jacobson, as you may know, a video recently emerged from the Minneapolis police officer's body camera footage that changes the narrative we have all become so familiar with regarding George Floyd. It is now very unclear whether the officers being tried will be tried with murder, as George Floyd was heard saying he couldn't breathe before Derek Chauvin brutally, brutally mistreated him. That said, what do you make of this footage only now being found out, some months after the media incited a small race war in our streets? How do we deal with so much misinformation, fraudulent journalism, and propaganda being pushed across America's news stations? In the likely event that the officers responsible for assaulting George Floyd are cleared of all charges, as the new video seems to disprove second-degree murder, how can the Jewish community prepare for another round of race riots, God forbid? Wishing a Shavua and Shana Tove to you and your family. A second question, why is there so much confusion? Okay, so as you know, I'm not going to get now into the facts on the ground. I did not do proper research to tell you what did happen, what didn't happen. We've seen some videos, I've seen the new one. I'm not going to, this is not my job and it's not our job. Hopefully there'll be a fair court of law that'll look at all the evidence in all directions and come up with the right proper justice to be done. We're all appalled when a person gets killed and murdered, doesn't matter whether they're black or white. At the same time, you have to look at all the facts, and there's a due process. To say we distrust the whole process of all courts of laws and all police is ridiculous. It's just like in any type of blanket statement. But this needs to be looked at, especially now it's under the public eye. And let's be honest, a lot of people are trying to capitalize on it and exploit it, not necessarily in healthy ways. So that's all to my point of view, That from my point of view, that's all a given. So I'm not getting into the details of each particular episode and incident. But the question is exactly, the big question is, there's so much disinformation. And I remember even hearing this back, long before the Trump era, people were saying about uh, President Obama things. Before that, President Bush, and then President Clinton. You go back, and I would always ask myself a simple question. How do I know what they're saying is even accurate? People have agendas, and I'm not just suggesting nothing has been done. Look, JFK, who was assassinated, was considered Camelot. People look at him, he was like the perfect human being. He wasn't. We all know that. First of all, there is no such perfect human being. But because he was assassinated, and he was was a very handsome-looking guy, so his story became like martyrdom. Today we know about all kinds of things he did, but the media did not expose then scandals and people's personal affairs. So what does that mean? That means that he's better because it wasn't reported? Today that's not the climate any longer. So we don't even have an objective picture of anything. You go back in history, tell me one person, put them under scrutiny, you'll always find something, and if you magnify only the negatives, the person becomes a villain. You magnify the positives, the person's a hero. Then you start seeing life as a little more complex. Great. People have beautiful things about them and they have things that are not so beautiful. That sense of nuance seems to have been lost. And I discussed this in a program I did, um, when I, uh, when, uh, the program I did, I believe, what was it, um, uh, the, about elephants and donkeys. There's black and white, cowboys and Indians. You know, this need to create like perfection or you're either totally evil or you're totally good. It's ridiculous. It's a childish approach, and it's not even accurate. So, the first thing we need to know if you want to have clarity among this information, you have to step away and stop becoming a, uh, a, an addict to the media. Yes, we're being fed, we're being programmed, we're being m- brain- brainwashed, and it's one big joke almost. It's like an entertainment industry. You want to free yourself? The Mishnah says. Ein l'cha ben you don't have a free person unless someone's studying Torah, immersed in Torah. I remember the Rebbe once saying, it doesn't say everyone who learns Torah is a Ben-Chair. Because a lot of people learn Torah and they're not so free. But you can't be free unless you study Torah. But one second, what do you mean? We live in a free country, United States of America. We have freedom, of, we have a Bill of Rights. No, because you're not free when you're, when you're being fed and you're consuming, and you become addicted to the consumption of other people's perspectives. When you learn Teti, you're learning God's perspective. You're rising above political political partisanships, subjective opinions, self-interest groups, interest groups and people's self-interest. You're going to a pure place that has no agenda. God who created the world, created a world that is not a, that, a God that's not human and not subject to human flaws and frailties and subjectivity. Until you don't come to find some type of oasis of being able to connect to something that's beyond the fray, that's above the fray, beyond all these partisanships, then we become part of it and we become a victim to it. This steady inundating, literally inundating our senses. Overload, information overload. And you hear this and you hear that and then you argue about it and you're consumed with it. It's become like, that's, and that's their intention. They need viewers. They need advertisers. You need viewers. So you start wondering, what is, is they give, are they giving me truth? Am I going to say it's all lies? No, it's not all lies. But it's a whole mix. and You can't, when you don't know what's a lie, what's truth, they all become like all in doubt. Everything is up in the air. So we have to free ourselves from the social and cultural pressures, whether it's media, politicians. Find those moments you can free your mind, free your heart by touching upon transcendental ideas, beliefs, value systems. And yes, what does God want of you? That's the most important thing. And you say, what about religious authorities? They also have agendas. That's true. And if they do, they're not people that you necessarily have to turn to either for this clarity. They're not living up to what a true Torah person should be. A true Torah person should be someone who's only interested in a higher truth, not someone's definition of what truth is. Don't tell me what's true. Tell me what you hear, what you've studied, what you've learned. Tell me what God wants of me. And I really have to say this, I don't see another solution. Because who exactly are you going to trust? This station, this network, that network, this blogger, this uh, Twitter, tweeter? And we end up having a lot of information coming our way. As I said, inundating, flooding our senses. And we become this, uh, become, literally it's like a, an addiction. We become addicted to this information, to what we consume. And what you consume, you assume what you consume. You are what you eat. We need to free ourselves of that. It's the only way to get clarity. I was blessed around people, especially the Rebbe, seeing the Rebbe who was always that way. He looked at what does the Torah say about it. Not what I say, not what you say, not what the Republicans say, what Democrats say, what Fox says or what CNN says and all the others. I'm not going to mention every name out there. What does the Torah say? What does God say? And when you have that, you get a laser crystallized picture of things, a clarity that allows you to look at something with a bird's eye view, because it's not impacted by any self-interest, by immediate gains, no strings attached, nobody's benefiting from it, becoming wealthy because of it. That's how you begin to get clarity. Why is there so much confusion? Because we're not allowing ourselves to get up to access our soul, which gives us a bird's eye view of life. We become part of it. So we're like all within it. We're all part of it. And this is what we're consuming. We become consumers and we become addicts to this information. There's information addiction too. The expression, you can know more and more about less and less. You can know about the price of everything and the value of nothing. So just the fact that we have information doesn't suddenly mean we're in power. Just because you can Google and find out anything about everything doesn't mean you're a wise person. A wise person knows how to use the information, knows how to filter the information, and most importantly knows how not to allow the information as an end in itself to define you, but to look for the deeper truth that the information provides and how to build a better world, how to build a better human being, a better family, healthier children, ones that are not defined by... The coming and going of the rush hour of our businesses and all the other things consume us around survival, making more money, being more powerful, more control, but rather more sublime, more transcendent. What are you, what are you needed for? Not what you need. Becoming a bit bigger, a greater giver than a person who's taking. All that is how you achieve clarity. So, you cannot become, you, you can, if you want to be part of the solution or you want to find clarity, you have to free yourself. You cannot be part of that whole merry-go-round and roller coaster of life and expect to have a clarity. You have to step aside and be able to look from the top down. What do you think Shabbos is all about? You shut down as much as possible the material world around you, and you could enter a spiritual space and see what does God want of me? Shabbos Lashem. A, a, a deeper vision, a greater vision, up from the 30,000 foot level or even higher. A holy day, where you allow yourself to be lifted to another place. And then that should infuse the six days of the week. Because you could say, so why not have Shabbos all week long? Because the purpose is God wants us to take that vision of Shabbos and bring it into every day of the week. That Sunday comes, and Monday comes, and Tuesday, it's all infused with a higher picture. Now you have to enter the world, yes, you have to do your business and you have to survive and you have to engage with the material world, but it's always informed by a bigger picture. The Rebbe Rashab once saw a Talmud of his, one of the bohrim, became later wealthy because he opened up galoshes, manufacturing, and that was saved many shoes because he lived in the shtetl, they weren't paved streets, so galoshes. Now he became very wealthy, very successful. The Rebbe Ashab gave one look at him and saw where his head was. He said to him in Yiddish, he said, I've seen a feet in galoshes. Feet, that's where they belong. And the galoshes, the feet, the galoshes are for the feet. For the shoes on your feet. But a head in galoshes? I've never seen a head in galoshes. He saw that his head was completely consumed. Now, do you have to use your head in business? You do. But the expression is, which means, do what you need, to make sure your business is run ethically and fairly, successfully. But don't be defined by it. It doesn't define who you are. Okay. So that is somewhat an answer to that question about clarity and disinformation. Next question. Are there any predictions about current events in the Torah? This question, I believe, was asked to me earlier. So let me just answer specifically. The, the, the Torah, since it's kadmu Torah le'elam, which means al prime shana kadmu Torah le'elam, the Torah is God's blueprint for creation. So of course in the Torah, it's the blueprint for everything from the beginning of time till the end of time. However, that doesn't mean necessarily that we have access to it. And we should even be pursuing, looking for predictions. So in the teda, are there predictions? Are there are predictions that Mashiach is going to come. There are predictions of events that will lead to that. There are predictions of events throughout history. Sometimes we've seen them fulfilled very literally. Sometimes we haven't seen them completely fulfilled. But it's not our mission. Tomim T. al HaLekechot says, follow God in a straight path, in an innocent path. Don't be too, too smart. We're not, we're not charged to go look for predictions. We're not crystal ball people. What God wants us to know, we know. The mysteries we don't know, we don't know. So we're not looking for predictions, we're looking for responsibility. If you can look in the Torah and say, okay, what happened in previous pandemics? How did human beings deal with it? And you study, you come to discover that the whole issue of pandemic is already addressed in the Talmud, and Baba Kama. We talked about it at length at the beginning of the uh, the outbreak. And based on Apostle it's Chumash, boy that it says, when the plague broke out, the plague of the firstborn, God says to Moshe to tell the people, and you, none of you, not one person should leave your home until the morning, and this is the basis of quarantine. So if you look in the Torah, the Torah, yes, talks about quarantine, and talks about how to deal with it, and maybe the deeper purpose, and the Jews Jews have been quarantined, had to deal with plagues and pandemics in the past. But This is not about predictions, this is about being prudent and learning and behaving as the Torah tells us to behave responsibly. But above all, to learn the lesson from it. If you learn a lesson and say, ah, I've learned the lesson how to daven and be connected to God more because I couldn't go to shul, I had to find out how to do it from my home. To do a Pesach Seder in a, in a, in a very original way, to connect more. To connect with friends, to learn Torah in a deeper way, to daven in a deeper way, to do upcoming Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur in a deeper way. Then you're really living up. It's not about the prediction. It's about what are we doing with it. And when we do what we need to do, then yes, the promise is that we're going to bring the gu'ula. The gu'ula will come. That's the ultimate prediction. And every part of this, every step toward the way, as you see the Rebbe, he saw the fall of the Soviet Union. He saw it as a, a type of prediction. He saw the Yalkut Shemini when there was the, the Persian Gulf War. The battles. He saw the medish, a fulfillment of a medish, that people are going to be scared and going to ask what to do. And Hashem will say, Don't be afraid, my children. (inaudible) Why? He gears mangul aschem. Your time of redemption has arrived. But it's not about a crystal ball sitting around and trying to figure out the future and predictions. It's ultimately all about my and your responsibility. What are you and I going to do? Not so much what's going to happen tomorrow. So yes, we know every disruption is meant to lead to a new revelation. Between a yesh and a yesh, there's an ayin be'emtzah. And that's what tradition, transition is about. And when you know that, and you keep strong, then you can ride through anything, but also be part of the solution. Do things, initiate, generate. Okay, See, I wrote here, see episode 162, so I assume I, I must have spoken about that as well, in episode 162. Okay, so now I'd like to do a few follow-ups. There's plenty of follow-up that we, I left for later weeks. So let's try to do some follow-up. Okay, now there's some more painful topics and ones that are not less painful. I'm going to do, let me finish up about politics. We spoke about what should we, what should we do about liberals trying to focus our schools to teach their agenda. We talked about political parties. So I'm going to try to finish that now. So we'll have that finished and then see what time is left and then we'll continue. So over oh, the past weeks, I mentioned it before, I've spoken about the polarization among political parties among all of us. You know, even this past Wednesday, my class was about how to disagree without hate all relevant to these times, especially in this political climate of the elections, the United States elections. So just to follow up, there's some I wanted to finish, I didn't finish, I'll do it right now. Um, Let me just uh, organize myself here, okay. So in finishing this topic that I addressed a few weeks ago so many, many comments came in that took issue with my approach, where I basically said we need to be above all the parties. And look what, what is good, what God wants us to do, like I mentioned before, above the fray. But some people took issue and they felt, no, that the elections are deeper, they're not just political, that those representing the right or the more Republican are actually representing a more ethical approach to the liberal godlessness and even... even uh, the uh, uh, lawlessness that they're allowing, the name of, of equal rights and so on. So I've been talking about this and I wanna just finish a few of the letters I received because it is relevant to our time. So let me just, uh, the donkeys versus elephants. <laughs> so here we have our favorite writer who's always giving me these, uh, in my opinion, ridiculous titles, but okay. You're enjoying yourself, that's fine. I find it endearing. To our Supreme Ashpia and the E-Universe, Rabbi Simon. <laughs> First of all, thank you for all you do for the public. It is indeed a true blessing. I was surprised by your donkeys versus elephants broadcast because the choices we face in this upcoming presidential election are really all about life and our visions for the future of the USA and to a greater extent, the world. Pro-choice versus pro-life, anarchy and separation versus preserving the liberty enumerated in our country's founding documents, calling 911 to have a social worker come, quote-unquote, redirect funding from the police, i.e. defunding, versus having a strong police presence to protect all citizens, a government that seeks to destroy the normative nuclear family unit versus one that seeks to uphold the standard of a married father and mother at home, higher taxes to pay for social welfare and even a universal basic income versus lower taxes, individuality and hard work lifting all ships, no choice in schooling versus school choice, regulation versus deregulation, gun control versus the right to self-defense. As listed in the Second Amendment, climate hysteria and banning fossil fuels versus level-headed thinking and growing our economy and self-reliance with fracking, globalism versus taking care of our country first, Embracing China versus recognizing the true nature of the communist, genocidal, a sexually abusive slave state it is. A weak military versus a strong military, and so on. Sounds like a real campaign uh, list, but I'm I hear what you're saying. I'm not dictating to you which one you should support, but this election, as many as so many are a choice about a vision for life itself. I think we need to be engaged or we'll lose our country. Okay. I don't disagree with the points, and I said that. That we should look at our value, higher values, and see which party or which individual. Because I believe it's case by case. I don't think you're going to just find one slate that's going to cover it all. So basically, it comes down to not becoming political, even though, of course, we should exercise our right to vote and find the best candidates to, to live up to the highest standards possible. So I don't think there's a disagreement on that. I think it's but many of us do get caught up in the polarization, which is the thing I was really trying to address. Another person writes, Dearest Rabbi Jacobson, I don't know the right form to write in regarding your master classes regarding donkeys and elephants, but since you mentioned it on the My Life City Supplied episode, I write here. While the arm while the animal mascots of donkey and elephants are indeed somewhat silly, politics nowadays is anything but The two parties represent very different values, and each party, especially the Democrat Party, note, it's not called the Democratic Party, it's the Democrat Party, works ceaselessly to get their agenda accomplished. The different values are represented fiscally, taxes and regulations, welfare, universal basic income versus self-reliance, in regards to our personal protection and safety, police and Second Amendment rights educationally, school choice in regards to human life, pro-life versus pro-choice, and security-wise globally, China, Iran, etc. At stake in the election is also whether society moves to view the founding of our country based on unalienable rights for each individual endowed by our creator to be racist and flawed and torn down or hopefully cherished with a recognition that it is the most fair and kind form of government around. The election will also affect our ally, Israel. In in my opinion, there's only one party that that has any values similar to Torah values. This same party has values that will, with God's help, bring prosperity, equality, and blessing to our country. The other party has values that are anathema to the values held by religious Jews and values that will radically destroy the country. The election is very important, and while the animal representatives are less important, meaning elephants and donkeys, everyone with the right to vote should go out and do so. I hope you can encourage your viewers who are eligible to to vote to get out and do so. You know, I'm quite taken and actually surprised a bit, in a good way, of the passion that many people have about these values, and by all means. So let's make it clear, I don't think there's any disagreement here. There's other side of it that so much has been caught up, as I said, almost into the entertainment element. So yes, I was a sum tongue-in-cheek, elephants, donkeys, and there are real issues at stake. But remember, a lot of people are caught up in the politics and in the fighting, and that, again, needs to be addressed as well. Independent, I wish it was so simple that you can just vote for one slate, all Republicans, and you get yourself guaranteed the highest quality values. We still have half of the country that has a very different opinion. So there's more to be done than just winning an election. It's also education. And that's what I think we have to get into, not just becoming, you know what, you're all against my values and that's it. For some reason, we need, For some reason, people have been brainwashed and we need to re-educate and we need to educate and enlighten and talk openly and non-judgmentally because without that, people will not be receptive on either side of the aisle. The next comment on this, as I said, I want to just get these out of the system here. The sixth president, John Quincy Adams, was the son, not grandson, of the second president, John Adams. I guess I may have misstated, maybe I stated that he was the son. I still think, I think he was the grandson. I didn't look it up, but I hear what you're saying. He was a remarkable man, because that's what I talked about. The original na- origination of the, of the of elephants and donkeys, especially donkeys, came from the big battle between Andrew Jackson and John Quincy Adams in the election of the sixth president. So he's, re- so he's referring to that program that we did a number of weeks ago. He was a remarkable man, John Quincy Adams. By age 15, he was fluent in six languages, English, Latin, Greek, Biblical, Biblical Hebrew, French, and Dutch. At age 10, he accompanied his father then on a diplomatic mission to France from the nascent, nascent USA, where he served as his father's secretary. As Andrew, Dax- as Andrew Jackson was illiterate and John Quincy Adams viewed him as a boar bore, bore and a war criminal... <laughs> For his actions against the American Indians, the presidential campaigns were indeed fierce. Okay. Fine. And one more that I'll do, and then we're going to go to the Hasidus question. And that is... Which one am I doing? Yeah. Individual versus community. Rabbi Jacobson, thank you so much for your amazing ongoing weekly My Life Hasidus Applied broadcasts. The genius of the American experiment, in my opinion is, in my opinion, the recognition that natural rights stem from the Creator, to each individual, rights which precede government. Our government is instituted among men, derived from just powers, from the consent of the governed, to secure these unalienable natural rights. And the recognition is that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it. And to institute a new government, in other words, the government's primary role is to protect the unalienable rights of the individual. Although not written in the founding documents, at least that I have seen, the underlying principle of natural rights endowed by the creator is that each individual is created in the divine image. Unfortunately, the Democrat Party has decided to focus on the rights of various communities instead of the individual. The thing is that the rights belong to each individual, and rights can't belong to an amorphous community if they don't belong to each individual in the country first. When when they do belong to each individual, they automatically belong to everyone. When the government divides people by skin color, country of origin or religion, and attempts to confer rights on that community above and beyond the natural rights endowed by the creator, what ends up happening is that the natural rights of every individual are trampled upon. I agree with the writer whose letter you read in episode 321 that the donkeys, as a party, don't believe in the founding principles. They don't believe in God and thus can't believe that natural rights stem from a creator. Once they pull the key foundation block out from the bottom of the pile, the American experiment collapses. Thus you see the manifestation, Marxism, anarchism, looting, and a desire to burn down the system. Indeed, we have a choice in November that we have the sacred duty to make, and I hope that our country still believes in those principles that have created the most free, colorblind system of governance in the world's history. Well said, and I I really concur with many of the points you made, especially the one where if you take out God from the picture and you start giving rights to whoever you feel needs those rights, you end up having anarchy, you don't have equality. It becomes reverse discrimination then. So I'm with you, and I thank you for all your comments. And though this is chassidus applied, you could say, well, this seems sounds political. It's not, because it's all ultimately based on God-given values, God-given rights, which is so much affecting our country today. And we're trying to apply chassidus to the situation on the political arena and the landscape of social and cultural life today. And I think this did do some enlightening, and I hope... um, It uh, reaches the right places. And please share with others because there's so much misinformation, disinformation, confusion in these issues. And we need Torah Chassidus clarity. Okay. Let's move now to the Chassidus question of the week. And that is, why is it special to pray at certain holy sites when God hears our prayers everywhere? Why is it advantageous to pray at holy sites such as the Western Wall, or at the resting places of tzaddikim. Doesn't God hear our prayers wherever we are? I believe I spoke about this. I did, couldn't find a previous episode, but the answer is very straightforward. Yes, you cannot God divide God into parts. Indivisible God is everywhere, permeates everything in existence. And yet, and yet God did create a structure so I'm going into the whole discussion of the Tzimtzum addition, The Tzimtzum was a d- concealment of divine consciousness. Not a concealment of Elokus, because Atzmus, and even the highest levels pre-Tzimtzum are still there, except we don't sense it. At least not in a full sense. There's the idea of Hu Motzei Shem Shem Shemayim Shogar We say, Baruch Hashem, even a child, even a person who doesn't know, there's a presence, but it's not in a full giluyimdika way. That's the way God created it. So there's a structure. In this structure, as he explains in Tanya, Peter Klamad Vav, what means takhtenim, not takhtenim in space, in quality. It means takhtenim in giluy elokus, that the ishtalshlus that the which is the evolution of stages after the tzimtzum, continue to conceal the divine energy from level to level to a point, like he says, that the completely concealed, a double concealment, to the point there's actually negative forces that say I and nothing else. It started with and now it's is the true reality, the true perspective that divine is everywhere. But our perspective can be to the point of concealment that we think we are the center and we even deny the divine. That's what takhtenim is. And that's what the Eberster wanted to So what does that tell you? That there are levels of concealment and revelation. So from our point of view, there are places in the world, just like there are times in the year, where there are less blocks, there are less parsoyes, there are less halomas vestetim, less concealed layers where you can relate more directly to the divine. The Keshulam HaRavi. ravi, HaLeh came as the Rambam Paskas. The holiness never leaves. Same thing, Ashul, beit Migdash Ma'at. An environment that has been refined and prepared in a certain way, in a way is a closer window. Not from God's point of view. Of course, godliness is everywhere. In the street as much as in Ashul. But from our point of view, less layers and therefore more conducive. Uh, oil with Sadiqim. In time, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah. I said, Dirsha Hashem be Be'yesi He's not of all year round. But there are times where there are less layers, and therefore easier for us to access, and easier for us to connect to. It's Think of it like light piercing the tzimtzum. There are times where the tzimtzum is complete. Tisha B'av is the utter concealment, destruction. Even there there's godliness, but we don't, it's, it's more concealed. And then there are times when there's more revelation. So it really comes down to, in a very simple way, a simple way of putting it, where there's more layers or less layers. Less layers, that makes it more conducive and that's why certain spaces and certain times are easier to access. Can you do it anywhere? Of course you can. The Rebbe, there's a letter from the Friedrich Rebbe to the Rebbe. He asked the question, the Alter Rebbe said that in the Chetzi Kadra Tachtin, the lower hemisphere, where we are, the United States, it was, Matan didn't happen. That's why it's much more Tachtin. The Rebbe asked the Fritika Rebbe, what do you mean, Matter happened everywhere? It affected the whole world. So he says, no, in it was Begili. And in Chatzikadra it was not Begili. It wasn't revealed. So again, it's not that it didn't happen. In Revelation, the level of Revelation wasn't there. So that makes it a lower level. Okay. So with that, we conclude episode 323 of My Life is Supplied. Everyone should have a very powerful chedeshel, chesbun haachana, accountability and preparation. Should be a kesiv a blessed year, berukhnius or beruchnius, physically and spiritually. Beruchnius and berukhnius, spiritually and physically, as the Rebbe often would express. Shana teva Masuka a year, sweet year, healthy year, and whatever the challenges we have should all be ended. All the machlis, all the illnesses and diseases and epidemics, and pandemics, and we should only remain with the strength that we get from all of this deeper strength. And it should be already, Eshnaz Ge'ula, even before the Tavshin the Pei ends, to go into the Tavshin Pei of marching with the Gula Amitiz Vashlema, with the Rebbe together, with all the Rabbeim, the Gula Amitiz Vashlema. Everyone be well. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. My life is supplied. Thank you so much. This program is brought to you by My Life, Hasidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at hasidusapplied.com donate.